Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 8, beginning in the verse 1. And the word of the sovereign Lord reads, There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor H.B. Charles once wrote, If the Bible is a gold ring, then Romans chapter 8 is the centrally mounted diamond in that ring. So while you have your Bibles out, why don't you turn with me to near the beginning to Exodus chapter 3. It's a momentary diversion. So it goes Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he fled his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. That is where we are today. We are standing on holy ground, beholding the beauty of the gospel of God. Because today we're standing at the very edge of Romans chapter 8, the high point of the Christian faith. Romans chapter 8 is the summit of the mountain that Paul has been climbing since he began his explanation of the gospel in chapter 1 where he said... For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul begins his letter to the church in Rome by declaring the glorious gospel truth that mankind can be justified with God by faith in the gospel. And from this point onward, Paul begins pointing toward this lofty peak of Romans chapter 8. I want you to notice how Romans chapter 8 begins. It begins with no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I also want you to notice how Romans chapter 8 ends. In fact, it says in verse 37... No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the chapter begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. The chapter begins with the promise of no condemnation for those in Christ, and it ends with the promise that there is no separation from God's love for those who are in Jesus. You see, the theme of Romans chapter 7 primarily is about the security of those who trust in Christ. The point that Paul is going to communicate this entire chapter is this. Believer, you are completely safe in the hands of God. You're completely secure in the hands of Christ. This is the crowning truth of the gospel. The truth that Paul is emphasizing right here is the truth that Jesus himself declared for us in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never, never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. The overarching theme that Paul is going to unpack in Romans chapter 8 is the glorious doctrine of the security of the believer. The security the gospel gives to those who trust in Christ. We who are in Christ are safe in the hands of God. And, and, and it's going, Paul's going to unpack this over 39 verses, the surety of the gospel of grace. What a glorious and hope-inspiring truth this is. And, God, and, and, and Paul, through this, he's going to support this theme by helping us to understand three important issues. Right? And they are, number one, the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in the believer. From, chat, from verse 2 to 17, God, the Holy Spirit, will con, Paul's going to tell, help us to see that the, the Holy Spirit continues the work of saving us from the power of sin in our life. It's the Holy Spirit that's transforming us from the inside out. It is the Holy Spirit who is conforming us more and more into the image of Christ, right? And, 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 and He serves as a guarantee of our salvation. And then number two is the promise of future glory. Verses 18 through 30. I think if you might mute um, Michaela's microphone, I think that's what it is, is that hers was giving that feedback there. Okay. But number two is the promise of the glory of God, verses 18 through 30. This is where we discover the golden chain of redemption, the promise that those who have been justified by faith will in fact be glorified and will be set free from the presence of sin when we finally live forever in the presence of God. And this is not something that we wish for. This is not something that we we want to happen. It is a certain immutable reward for those who are in Christ. It is our guaranteed inheritance. Paul unpacks the steadfastness. Number three, Paul unpacks the steadfastness of God's love for us. 
in verses 31 through 39, Paul helps us to see how much God actually loves us. And he helps us to see that nothing in all of creation will separate us from that love in Christ. And so Paul will, will talk about the work of the Spirit, the promise of future glory, and the steadfastness of God's love. All of this pointing to the assurance of our redemption. This indeed is the pinnacle of, of Paul's letter. This is the pinnacle of the gospel of grace. That God and man have been reconciled in Christ and nothing, hear me, nothing can take that away from those who believe the gospel. And obviously this is going to take some time to, to work through and unpack. Because as we've seen to this point, there's a lot packed into this letter. There's a lot to talk about, and we don't want to be too hasty to get through this chapter too fast. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually start off the new year by carefully unpacking Romans chapter 8, one section at a time. And we're going to spend several weeks doing so, worshiping and glorifying God as we go along. But today, I just want to spend our time this morning looking here at verse 1. And the reason for that simply is that is because Christmas is upon us, which means next week we will have our Christmas special, which I'm really looking forward to. All right, we're going to have special music on Sunday evening with members of different churches, and it's going to be a wonderful time. And then after that, the following week, we're going to have a special Sunday morning service because it's actually going to be Christmas this year on Sunday. And yes, we are open for Christmas. I do not understand how churches will close for Christmas on a Sunday morning. But, but the reason why I want to, want to pause here and walk through this letter to the Romans here this week, right before Christmas, is because... This verse right here, this verse that we have before us, is the very reason for Christmas. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the very reason Jesus was born. This is the reason for the incarnation that God became flesh. This is the reason we celebrate Easter. This is the reason that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Christ Jesus came into the world, as Paul said, to save sinners. And because of that, because of what Christ has done, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the summary of the entire gospel. This is the gospel reduced down to one sentence. This is the summary of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where he said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the summary of Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in 
Jesus. In other words, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to those words. Let them sink into your heart. Let, let them saturate your mind. Let them soothe your weary soul. This is the truth that Jesus was pointing to when he said, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is the truth. This truth, if Romans chapter 8 is the pinnacle of the entire book of Romans, then this verse right here is the tip-top pinnacle of, Roman, of, of chapter 8. This is the point. And I want to spend this morning helping you to stand up and behold this glorious truth. I want, to, I want to help you to see the overwhelming grace and love of God that bursts forth from these words. I want to help you to take comfort in the security of your salvation. I want to help you as we prepare our hearts for Christmas to be overwhelmed by a desire to glorify and magnify and worship God the God who not only set you free, but who keeps you safe in His hand. So again, let us open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And, and the first thing that I want you to notice is the phrase, therefore. This phrase serves not only as a conjunction, but it connects Paul's ideas together and it puts us on notice that Paul is pulling things together in order to draw a conclusion. Paul has been arguing for the gospel all the way up to this point and Paul is drawing a conclusion up to this point in the letter. And, and, and the word therefore can be substituted by the phrase because of that or in light of that. What Paul is saying is in light of all of these things, in light of these facts, here's the conclusion. In other words, we can restate what Paul says is in light of this, in light of all I've shared with you, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Which means, which we should cause us then to ask the question, in light of what? I mean, what specifically is Paul talking about? Is he talking about simply just Romans chapter 7 because he just finished talking about our relationship to the law? No. In light of everything that Paul has been talking about to this point, Paul is drawing a conclusion based on everything he has covered from the beginning of the letter to now. In chapter 1, Paul says, the gospel is the power of God to save those who believe it. And from there into the middle of chapter 3, Paul explains the bad news of the gospel. The bad news that makes the good news necessary. The bad news that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all of mankind because of their sin, Jew and Gentile alike. God's judgment and wrath abides on everyone. And this is the escape, inescapable bad news. This is universal for everyone. But then in chapter 3, all the way to the end of chapter 4, Paul declares the good news, the good news of the gospel, the glorious truth that God has made a way for mankind to be saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Paul exclaims that Jesus Christ by His own blood made atonement for our sin and the promise is that those who turn to Christ, not by their works and their good deeds, but they turn to Christ by faith are saved and justified. The righteous are justified and live by faith, is what Paul says. And they've been given a new life and a new identity. And as Paul says in chapter 5, they have peace with God and have access to Him as family members and, and are no longer in Adam under His curse, but under the curse, of, under the curse of the law. But they are now in Christ under His headship. Those who trust in Christ have union with Christ through faith and they have union with His death to sin and have union to His resurrection to new life. And because of that, they, because they are in Christ, they've been set free from the power of sin and the power of death, as Paul explains in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, he explains that all believers have a brand new relationship with the law of God. We have been set free from the bondage of the requirements of the law. We have freedom now to actually become obedient. But there is still a conflict, as Paul talks about, that rages inside the believer. The conflict that causes doubt of our assurance of salvation. A conflict between our new nature, our new life, and the indwelling sin that's still in our flesh. And the believer has new desires and new affections, but his flesh still struggles with, and at times falls prey to, temptation and sin. But Paul helps us to see that the believer does not have to resort to legalism to feel like they need to, to, to be right with God by obeying a bunch of rules or antinomianism, which they just satisfy their consciences by ignoring God's law or even worse, fatalistic self-doubt, wondering if God could really love them. Believers don't have to resort to any of these things because of Jesus Christ. The believer has Christ. He is in Christ. And Christ has promised to save them, to deliver them. And He would deliver all those who believe the gospel. And in light of that, in light of all of that, from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 7, Paul summarizes and concludes, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's a point to praise the Lord for, that is it. Now, I want you to notice the word condemnation. This is important because it is the opposite of justification. As we know, justification is the judicial declaration by God of righteousness. It's Him declaring us righteous. When a person is declared justified, they're de declared righteous in the sight of God. Condemnation, on the other hand, is judicial declaration of unrighteousness. It's to be found guilty, to be declared condemned, is to be declared unrighteous. And it's just that simple. The word condemnation in this context means just that. But it also means more than just a pronouncement and declaration. This word means punishment following condemnation, penal servitude, or the penalty. You see, what Paul is referring to is the just penalty for a person deserves for their sin. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is what? Death. What we've earned for a reward for our sin is death. And not just in the physical sense, but in the second death. The lake of fire, the eternal torment. 
This is the just penalty that mankind has earned by sin and unrighteousness and by this rebellion against God, by our refusal to acknowledge God as God and give thanks to Him. This is the penalty for mankind who exchanges the glory of the immortal God for false gods. This is the judgment that has been handed down. Understand, mankind, all of mankind has found his way into this universal sentence. That's the bad news. But then not only does Paul remind us of this horrific truth, he then simultaneously points us to the sun rising over the mountaintop and says, there is therefore now, in light of the gospel, no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no punishment. And notice the word no here. This is such an important word. I mean, it's simple enough for us to understand in English, two little letters, right? And we understand what it means, but in the Greek where Paul, he uses the word here, it, that when we translate as no, is actually really, really emphatic. Paul uses a word that, that is a powerful negative conjunction. The word rules out by definition any alternative. This word shuts the door on the issue permanently. This word leaves no exceptions. When Paul says no con- condemnation, he means it no longer exists. He says the issue is permanently settled. And so there is no going back. And that means the issue will not be revisited for those who are in Christ. This means that when you have been justified, condemnation is forever taken off the table. This issue of condemnation never comes up again with God. And the Overarching point is that we don't have to live then in fear anymore because of our remaining sin. Because all of our sins, all of them, past, present, and future, have been atoned for by the blood of Christ on the cross. You see, Jesus didn't just atone for some of our sins. He atoned for all of our sins by His blood. His sufficient blood for all of our sins. And that means before Christ, we stood condemned. But when we put our faith in Christ, God declared us to be righteous in His sight. And we're not righteous on the basis of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And you, in a very real way then, become righteous because Christ's righteousness that He earned while on the earth is imputed, it is credited to you. And on that basis, you were justified. You were justified on the basis of Christ's righteousness. That is the alien righteousness that so many theologians talk about. The righteousness that from God granted to us by faith. You were justified on the basis of Christ's own righteousness. And what that means is the only way for you to be condemned again or to be declared unrighteous is for Christ himself to become unrighteous. That's how sure this is. I want you to hear me again on this. Let me say that again, right? The only way for you to be condemned again, the only way for you to be unjustified is for Christ himself to become unrighteous. And what we know, brothers and sisters, is that's never, ever, ever going to happen. 
because he is the eternal son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so Paul authoritatively declares that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. This is the basis, by the way, of our assurance. You have been freed not only from sin and death, but the penalty of your sin that has been forever removed from your horizon. There is no condemnation, not even the slightest possibility of condemnation, because Jesus is the basis of your justification. He is your righteousness. You see, salvation is the work not of men, but the immutable, unchangeable God himself. He is the one who justifies us. He is both just punishing our sin in Christ and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. And the truth is, by itself, that ought to cause your heart to be moved to worship if you're in Christ. The truth is, by itself, ought to cause you to desire to glorify God in your life. Hear the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And with that, look, look, with, look with me at the word now. He says there's now no condemnation. And this is so, so important for us because we live in an already but not yet duality of our faith. We have been saved, right? As we've talked about, we've been justified. And we are being saved from the power of sin through sanctification. But one day we will be fully saved when we're finally with Christ. And there will be no sin around. There will be no presence of sin. By this word, now, what it does is it gives us great assurance, great hope, because it tells us that in a very real, tangible way, we are now justified. There is now no condemnation. We don't have to wait until heaven to experience the joy of that. We don't have to wait until heaven to be assured of that. Condemnation is done away with in the present tense. And this reminds me of the truth that we find in John Chapter 3, verse 16, the most popular verse in the world, right? What does it say? Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? And there's so much to say there. For God so loved the world that God did what people who love do. What do people who love do? They what? They give. They give. You love people in your life, and what do you do? You give. For birthdays, for Christmas, little tokens, you give of your time, you give. Right? God loved us so much that He gave, and He gave what was most precious, His eternal Son. And His Son turned around and gave His own life for that love, right? And He says, so that... Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have. And the thing that you need to see is this word have is, is present tense. It is right now, the moment you believe. The moment you believe, you have eternal life. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? It's life that doesn't stop. It's life that continues into eternity, right? It's life that doesn't come to an end because, because eternity itself doesn't end. Which means if you have eternal life, you can't lose it. Why? 
If you can lose it, then it wasn't eternal. It was temporal because it ended, it stopped. Eternal life doesn't end once it's given. And the Bible promises that those who believe have eternal life. And Paul says that there is now present tense in this moment right now when you believe no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because those who believe have been justified and those who believe have been given eternal life. Which means the time for condemnation is over. There is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ. There is no judgment. There is no deliberation. There is no sentence. There is no penalty. We've been truly set free permanently. There is no condemnation. Now, there might be conviction, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've given into a temptation. You fall into sin. You do something stupid, Right, that you know that you shouldn't have been doing, and the Holy Spirit kind of pierces your heart. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You say something you shouldn't say, you do something you weren't supposed to do, and the Holy Spirit kind of gut punches you, right? Right? That's conviction. And that's when the Holy Spirit brings to mind the sinfulness of our sin, and we feel that prick in our conscience, right? And that conviction, right? can carry a lot of emotional weight at times, right? And it can, it can even feel like a heavy burden sometimes when you struggle with that remaining sin. But it's not condemnation. You see, conviction is God actually drawing you closer to Him. Conviction is the way that God draws your attention to the sin that's getting in the way of your relationship with Him and intimacy with Him so that you can repent of that sin and draw nearer to Him. But condemnation is where God removes Himself from you permanently. Condemnation is where He makes that separation between you and Him permanent. And... There is, therefore, in the light of the gospel, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. But understand, this good news is not good news to everyone. You have to understand that. The gospel is not good news to everyone. It is good news, but only to those who will receive it and believe it. You see, it would be good news for everyone if Paul had just stopped halfway and said, you know, he would just stop the verse, like, at the word, no condemnation. If he would have just said, there is therefore no condemnation anymore, and left it like that, then everybody would have been saying, hey, that's cool. But that's not the gospel. The good news is the good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. This reminds us of the truth that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who are in Christ and those who are in Adam. There are those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. There are those who are justified and those who are condemned. The truth is there is no condemnation. is a reason to rejoice and worship for those who believe. But this truth is also a cause for us to reflect soberly. Because what does this mean? Those who are not in Christ, as nice as they may be, as friendly as they may be, 
Those who are not in Christ have not escaped. Because only those who have escaped this condemnation, the ones who have been justified and have assurance of their, their faith because they're in Christ. Because Paul makes it very clear, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus then? Jesus said, to be in Christ is to be moved from death to life. He said, more specifically, it is to be born again. Paul tells us that it's to be taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. He also tells us in Ephesians, it's to be taken dead in our sins and trespasses and made alive in Christ. It is to be justified. It is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. It is to be, to be at peace with God, to be reconciled with God and made new. And it's to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and to be permanently saved by the grace of God. That's what it means to be in Christ. Well then, who are the ones that are in Christ? Well, Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the gospel. That's who's in Christ. John chapter 3 tells us those who believe in Him. John chapter 5, he says, whoever hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life and has not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. What about Paul? What does he say about who's in Christ? He says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 3, he said, the justified live by faith in Christ. Romans chapter 1, he says, the gospel is the power of God to save those who what? Believe. Romans chapter 3 again. He says that we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So who is it then that are in Christ? Those who believe the gospel. It is that simple. Those who put their faith in Christ. The world wants to make this really complicated. The world wants to make it about you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to change your attitude and you need to change your life and you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing that and then you get serious. And it is, it is not that complicated. Those who put their faith in Christ, those who repented of their self-righteousness and any hope of saving themselves by their own works and have turned to Christ by faith, those who've placed all their hope and all their trust upon Jesus, those who believe in Christ, those are the ones in Christ. And for those, there is no condemnation. Which means if you have heard the gospel and you have received it by faith, you are in Christ. And you have every reason then to rejoice. Because in light of the gospel, there is now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And that's the point of Christmas and Easter. That's the message we must believe. That's the message we must hold on to even as the world grows dark around us. Even when the worst case scenario happens in our lives. This is the message we must cling to when we find ourselves falling down again and again and again and again as our new nature battles our remaining indwelling sin. 
This is the message we must master. And I say that because so many people in our country, because of YouTube and all kinds of internet um, activities get caught up in theological hobby horses and they want to argue about the origin of, of things like the Nephilim, right? And many people want to argue about who they think that the Antichrist is. And people want to argue about their own particular hobby horse end times scheme. In fact, that's a lot of Christians, that's all they want to talk about. And though, though these things warrant discussion, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me, these things warrant having a conversation, right? Having the right answer to those questions will not save you. We need to master the essential truth of our faith, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came into the world to live the life that we were required to live but couldn't live. And He came to die on the cross to make atonement for our sins because we can't atone for our own sins. And then three days later, He rose again from the grave, proving that He is what He claimed to be and that He can do what He promised to do. And what did He promise to do? He promised to save you from your sins. And the promise is, if you will believe the gospel, all your sins are washed away. And His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is given to you. And on that basis, you are justified and there will never, ever, ever be condemnation for you. We must master this message because this is the message. This truth is the one that we need to share with the world around us. This is the message the world needs to hear, the glorious truth of the gospel of grace. And we need to share it with everyone we meet, as Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. But then he follows that up with a question, how will they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? This is the message that we must share with our friends. This is the message we must share with our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our community members, and whoever else. Because we love them. That song that, that uh, Matt and McKaylee sang is a new one, obviously. You guys haven't heard that one before from us. But it said 8 billion reasons, talking about, the children, about, about mankind. And the word said, if you will love them all, so will I. Brothers and sisters, this is how we love them. Loving them, being with them, connecting with them, but sharing with them the hope that transcends all the tragedies of the world. The hope that transcends condemnation. They need to hear this truth, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So wrapping this up this morning then, normally I don't spend a whole sermon on one verse, but, but wrapping this up, what do we do with a message like this as we're preparing our hearts for Christmas? I mean, obviously we're thinking about that, right? We're thinking about Christmas and gifts and time with family. And, and many of us are probably thinking about like next year, right? We're thinking about what we accomplished this year, what's going to happen next year. And, you know, some people are already starting to like make promises themselves about, you know, weight loss and all kinds of things, right? 
What do we do as we think about those things? How do we apply this to our life? Well, I want to offer you three things to consider. And I say three things to consider because ultimately what you get out of this message is between you and the Lord. All I can do is preach the Word and then let the Word and the Holy Spirit convict you. But I could offer you three applications. Number one, if you've heard the gospel today, but you have not to this point in your life put your faith in Christ, if you have never been, have never really believed the gospel of grace and put your trust in Jesus, then today is the day of salvation. And I would call you to repent and believe the gospel. And this isn't a call for you to get your life right. I want you to hear me because sometimes people take it that way. This is not a call. I'm not telling you, hey, you need to get your life right, you dirty, right? That's how some people perceive Christians, right? That is not at all what the message is, right? This isn't a call for you to join a social club, right? right? This isn't, you know, because sometimes people think, you know, being in church is about a bunch of people who get together and think they're better than everyone else. I'm going to tell you right now, a true church is a group of people who know they're not, and they desperately know how much they need grace, right? Right? And this isn't a call for you to try to work really hard and, and make sure that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, this is a call for you to recognize that you are a sinner who's been running from God and to recognize that you can't fix it by yourself and to recognize that your greatest need is not more money, it's not more fame, it's not more people understanding your perspective. Your greatest need is forgiveness and to recognize that forgiveness and life are found in Jesus Christ. So it's a call for you to turn to God and declare that you believe what Christ has done for you and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then follow Him. And if you are prepared to do that today, I'm going to invite you to come talk to me afterwards. I would love to just take a moment and I'd love to pray with you and to point you to the Scriptures and help you do just that. Now, maybe you're like, there's no way I'm going to do that for people to look at me understood, right? Then make a point to reach out to me so we can talk later. But the call is to repent, turn your heart away from your old life, and believe the gospel. Now, if you are in Christ, whether you're a brand new believer or a veteran, uh, uh, veteran in Christ, I uh, call you to rejoice in the assurance of your faith this season, to rest in the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that you can, no matter what happens in your life, you can be assured that the greatest problem in your life has been solved forever, permanently. And third, finally, I invite you to pray that God would open the door for you to share the gospel with those that you know and that you love. Right? That you'd pray that they would that God would open their hearts. Not that you'd go out there and obnoxiously beat them over the head, right? Because we're, we're not we're not arguing anybody into heaven. It's not gonna happen, right? We're not, I mean, we're not going to be convincing people by being jerks. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But God is the one who is the author of salvation. And that he is the one who can open the doors for us and prepare hearts for us. What we need to remember is our job is this. Sow the seed. Love the people. And pray for God to change their hearts and never give up. It's that simple. Sow the seed. Share the hope of Christ with people, right? Love them. Let them see the light of Christ in you. 
and then pray, pray, pray for God to do the work that only he can do, which is to change your hearts. And then most importantly, never give up. Never give up. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.